said, you know, Jill, you said that one of the things that you just didn't know how to do is how to lead through executives. She said, is that what you want to do? Do you want to? Is that what you like doing? And I said, hell no. (laughs) It's not my strength. It's not. But, you know, when you can get with people who see the value that I bring to the table and I and I respect what they're bringing to the table and you have a partnership and you're unified in that. God, you can just kick butt. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, By all means. Long before Blue Apron, HelloFresh, and other meal kit companies made it easy to cook like a gourmet at home, Tastefully Simple set out on a mission to simplify dinner prep and make it fun. This was back in the quaint old days before iPhones, before Instacart, before you could get virtually anything delivered to your home. Tastefully Simple started out selling its soups and spices through in-person parties, just like Tupperware, except the product was food, which made it fun to gather. Jill Blaschuk Strahan started Tastefully Simple in 1995 in a shed in Alexandria, Minnesota. She wasn't a chef. She didn't have big investors behind her. She was just a natural salesperson and a single mom, and she really needed this to work. And work it did for many years, culminating with $143 million in sales in 2008. She was inducted into the Twin Cities Business Hall of Fame. She won a bunch of entrepreneurial awards. She became a national keynote speaker. But then things started to fall apart. Sales steadily declined for 11 years. And that's a big part of what we're going to talk about today. Acknowledging mistakes, making changes, doing the work to turn things around for something you really believe in. Tastefully Simple marked its 25th anniversary this year and became profitable again in the midst of a pandemic. It's an epic story, so let's dive in. It's always a party when you're talking to Jill. (laughs) Well, hi, Jill. Thank you so much for, for joining us. The very first time you and I connected by phone, I think we spent about a half hour talking about margaritas. So I (laughs) thought maybe you exaggerate, (laughs) Allie. All right, I don't mean to devoted some time to it, though I would agree. We I don't mean to give away secrets, but you were out of your margarita mix at the time. Are you still now that summer days are waning? Thank you, Lord. We have we have our our, our margarita. We ha- we went into a, a bag instead of a bucket, but we have our bucket drinks back, so that's really fun. And we switched into a bag. So our joke was when we switched, you know, you have to be agile and you have to ebb and flow as as the world ebbs and flows. And so we were out of stock of our our famous watermelon margaritas, and we put them into paper bags instead. And so our joke at the, at the office was, um, you know, now you can you're going to be half of the bag. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Watermelon margarita. That sounds real good right now, but we'll stay mm-hmm. focused and very Thank professional. Um, Jill, where are you today? We're, you know, COVID times. We're not in the same place. So where where are you calling us from? I am in my home office, as many of us are, I'm sure, uh, in Alexandria, Minnesota. I'm overlooking uh, the beautiful Lake Lahamadu. 
A little uh, plug for the Alexandria community. <laughs> very nice. Well, and Alexandria is really where it all started for you. So, mm-hmm. so is that is that where you grew up? You know, I Allie, I actually grew up 20 miles south of Alexandria in a small town, uh, Villard, Minnesota. At that time, population 300, and uh, it, I'm sure it's much smaller now. Uh, but yeah, dairy farmer's daughter uh, okay. in a, a mile south of uh, Villard, and so yeah, my dad was. Uh, uh, I think a third generation farmer and dairy farmer, and uh, that's that's how we rolled. Sure, yeah, you didn't, you weren't spending time looking at the looking at the lake. Right, <laughs> the original <laughs> entrepreneurs. It's amazing how many entrepreneurs are born on farms. So, so what hmm. what were you like as a kid? Paint a, a, a quick picture for us. What did you want to be when you grew up? Mm. Uh, you know that is. Um, uh, not a very interesting tale, but because I had absolutely zero dreams or aspirations, zero. Hmm. Uh, you know, I uh, and so when I graduated uh, in 1976, I was 17 years old, and at that time, uh, I, I said, if you could guess, what were the three occupations that most women would have been uh, entering into, Allie? What would you say they were? I'm going to guess teacher, mm-hmm. nurse, mm-hmm. and housewife? Or secretary. <laughs> or secretary. Sure, of course, secretary. Yep. But so many people, you're you're right, they would have been looking at being a housewife. My mom was a housewife and uh, you know, farmer's wife, and that's more than a full-time job. So I decided I was going to go to college uh, to major in English because I got A's in English. And I went for one year to the University of Minnesota Morris. Well, and let me back up. I graduated with 18 kids in my graduating class. Hmm. Mm-hmm, yep, 18 of us. And I was in the top 50%. Pretty proud of that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, uh, and so I went off to Morris and uh, ended up at the end of that year, I've concluded that really what I majored in was socialization. And so I got my degree <laughs> in beer drinking and uh, eating pizza and dancing at the Globe. But anyway, <laughs> it wasn't uh, margaritas so, back then, huh? It was not margaritas. <laughs> no, L- L- lower end. Right. And uh, so, uh, and but really, I didn't know what I wanted to be or do. And I didn't. I mean, I, I didn't think I really wanted. To, I didn't necessarily want to be a, a, a farmer's wife, but um, I, I didn't know what I wanted to to be or do or have. And um, so my uh, brother ended up telling me one day when he came to visit me at college in the spring. And I said, Mike, I don't think I'm going to come back. And uh, I don't know how to tell mom. But uh, and he said, Jill, you know, maybe you want to go to the tech college, go to because he was in sales associate. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, don't go into fashion. Don't, you know, don't do any don't, just good old sales can bring you anywhere, you know, hmm. anything. And I thought, you know, that's kind of interesting. And Allie, in 1977, then Tech college in 76, it was free, I believe. Wow. And at that point, it was a dollar a day. Oh, my God. Imagine that. I know. And so I thought, you know, that's kind of, that could be kind of fun. And if I had not gone, if I had not made that decision, if Mike hadn't mentioned that, and I'm such an advocate of, you know, just follow the journey, you know, listen to the whisper. Because if I hadn't listened to that whisper and be, been kind of intrigued, I never would be in business today. Hmm. Because in 1976, I didn't even know that was an option. And it was because of DECA, which I, we didn't have that in our little school in Villard, uh, but that DECA experience of uh, competing in, in putting together a business plan and going to state and then nationals. 
it's like, wow, this is, you know, setting up what, what is a, you know, what kind of business, if you were to have a business, what would it look like? And going through that process, I'm very hands-on. So the technical college aspect was really more fitted for me than uh, a liberal arts education or some of those things. And because I couldn't, I couldn't apply. If I can't say, if you couldn't tell me, why do I need to know this? You know, why do, how is this going to help me in my life? I, I just have a hard time staying Sure. Focused. So you did DECA in college. A lot of kids do it mm-hmm. in high school today, but you mm-hmm. did it mm-hmm. in college. Mm-hmm. Yep. At, at uh, the Alec Tech. And uh, did you, okay. in, in that role, did you come up with business ideas? Did that sort mm-hmm. of start you thinking in terms of this could be a business or that could be a Absolutely. business? What could I mm-hmm. sell? Yep. One of the things um, that they that was an option at that time was called individual development, not individual development. It doesn't matter what it was called. Um, anyway, it was it was you could select from one of many different things to compete in. And one was to develop. a. Actually, one of our courses was about developing a business plan and creating a business. So I decided to create a gift shop uh, business plan that hmm. was called get a load of this. It was called uh, The Rainbows End. Oh, <laughs> oh isn't, that, isn't that cute? And uh, so anyway, and then took that in on to state competition. And, uh, and then... Did um, you win? I, I took, uh, I think, second. Okay. I think I took second at state and then went on to nationals where I think it, I took fifth place or something. But yeah, but it was a great experience and just, you know, seeing that kind of come to life. And I've always looked at something and, and tried to figure out how I can do it differently or better or or um, it, 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 it tapped. One of my top five strengths is uh, being an ideator. And so uh, I get really excited about coming up with new concepts and, and things. And so it just it fit with who I was. Sure. So it was a beautiful thing. So you come out of that program and then do you go out looking for a sales job or do you think I'm going to start a business? Um, I went to California with my brother to see my uncle. <laughs> okay. Everybody else was worried about what they're going to do for work. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to California with my brother and hang with him, him and my uncle for a, a week or two. Sounds like so a good right plan. Be- right before I left, I had applied at JCPenney's mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and they, were, they were doing a blitz and moving out to the mall from their downtown location uh, back in 1978 then. And uh, I had applied for just a sales position at JCPenney's and the manager called me while I was in California and she said, Jill, um, she said, you come highly recommended by your instructor at, at, um, the Alec Tech, which I was kind of surprised cause I was often late and I was kind of a challenging <laughs> student for him and, uh, you know, going from college and then going to tech school, which is more regimented was just kind of backwards for me. That didn't work very well. But anyway, uh, and she said, I have a position in display and advertising. Are you interested? Hmm. And I said, wow. Um, uh, I said, I just have to be really honest with you, Janet, and tell you that I skipped out of my display class <laughs> 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 because I was competing in, 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 at state and nationals and I was getting ready. And I just thought that's a class I could skip out of. So I didn't even go. Very practical. But, um, it was very practical, and but God love her. And she said, "Well, if I'm willing to give it a try, are you?" Hmm. I said, "Okay." So that was my first job. It wasn't even sales, but it was in advertising and more on a marketing front, which uh, I really appreciated as well. And then I left that job. Actually, did did you figure to... out how to do that job? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. learned on the fly. Figured out advertising. How long did you stay there? 
uh, one year. Okay. A little over a year because then I had the owners of the gift shop that I had interviewed and worked with to develop my business plan in downtown Alexandria. I went down to visit them one day and say hi. And they said, you know, we're looking for somebody. Are you interested in coming and being in sales here at the at this gift shop? So how, do, how does that world turn, right? And weirdly enough, I said, you know, okay. And I took a cut and pay, which I wasn't making anything anyway. I made 400 bucks a month back at that, at that point, full-time work. And no benefits, no nothing. No, my grandma said, Jill, there's no pension. You know? uh, and I did that. So it, it wasn't called Rainbow's End. No, thank you. It was called, <laughs> it was called the Marquee Two. yes. Okay. And, and what, what, did, what was that experience like? Uh, you know, it was, it, it was a good, a very good experience. I ended up actually doing displays for them later on too, but, um, I, it was good to watch the owner, Kevin, he was a master salesperson. And, you know, it's one thing to learn about selling, but where you really learn in life is doing and, and experiencing it. So to be able to watch him and learn from him was really invaluable. Um, and, and it just, it, it isn't, wasn't overly challenging. And then again, by the grace of God, my father ended up saying to me one day, he, he, as a farmer, the little town in Villard, the, the the restaurant closed, it went bankrupt. And, um, it, and so there was no place to have coffee. Well, that, that's not going to work. So my dad decided to open it up and wasn't working in there, just had, had some people running it. Well, he was losing a lot of money. But he said to me, Jill, would you be interested in coming to the cafe and, and managing it for me? Hmm. And I said, well, I was living in Villard, driving half an hour back and forth. I said, if you'll pay me 400 bucks a month, like I'm getting an Alec and I don't have to drive. I said, you know, I don't cook. I was 22 years old uh, and 23, 22. And, uh, but, and, and I was working, I was managing and leading quote unquote, the people who used to own the flipping cafe. And I don't even know. Yeah. Were, so were, were I, you I much that. of a chef? Were you, did you know oh, how to? I okay. No, I was horrible. horrible. I, I didn't know how to cook. I mean, you know, I knew how to butter Wonder Bread and bring lunches out to the guys in the field. Sure. You know, so, but so did uh, you turn no. that place around? Actually, actually we did. It became profitable and um, not, I mean, let's be clear, there, there was not much profit, but it, it, it survived. And I was able to pay myself and be an employer and we did a remodel job and I paid for it all. And, um, it, it did pretty well. I was, I was pretty proud of it. So, and, and I remember going in the first day and it was just a pit. It's just, it was just such a pit. And, um, I'm like, crap, I don't even know where to start. What do I do? And, <laughs> and, and there underneath the stairs, there, there, there was like, you know, how you have a closet or like a desk underneath the stairwell that went upstairs. Mm -hmm. And there were all these, it was filled to the brim, uh, six feet deep and high, high of grocery bags filled with receipts. And oh. just, and then on the wall was this Rubbermaid, you know, little organizer thing with all these things flowing out of it, spilling out. And, and it, they said things like IRS and state of Minnesota oh. and, and unemployment. And we were in a, he was in arrears on everything you can imagine. And then meeting costs. I, 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 we, I had a trailer house and had all these piles on my shag carpet and laid out in the in the living room of this trailer house on the farm. I'd, I'd married another farmer, ironically, a farmer. And uh, anyway, and I'm just like, what do I do? And I just started calling the numbers saying, what do I do? I'm meeting with people and putting them up on plans to get it repaid. And 
got we got it all repaid. Wow. That's Amazing. quite an undertaking. Yeah, you didn't just run away. I also just love the image of the receipts laid out on your shag carpet. Was it avocado green? I just... Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it wasn't orange, but it was avocado green. Very excellent, good. excellent. So mm-hmm. so you turn this place around. You obviously learn a lot and just jump in. At a certain point, did you start feeling bored? Did you want something more? What 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 happened next? Um, I ended up... My, uh, my husband and I went through a divorce. And, um, you know, I was feeling a little closed in by being in a small town, going through a divorce. So Mm -hmm. that was not a pleasant place to be. And just um, wanted to, you know, really spread my wings and uh, go up to the big metropolis of Alexandria. (laughs) (laughs) Never never considered Minneapolis. It was Alexandria was the big city. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Big enough. All right. So what'd you you do? As as, as Zig Ziglar, the late Zig Ziglar would say, you know, you go as far as you can see. Hmm. And when you get there, you can see you'll you can see farther. And so that was my my leap. Get out sure. of Ballard. What did you do in Alexandria? Uh, I went there without a job, and I I actually got a, a loan just to live on because I didn't have it. I mean, four hundred bucks a month. You know, you, there was no there were no savings, and um, that's another story. But I won't go into that. But um, I had to have my mom co-sign on it with the bank that I you know paid off all these debts and you know got I'm like you won't trust me after I turned you know had had a cafe that was succeeding but anyway uh so I had my mom co-sign and uh the day I was moving out I thought I, I'll figure out a job I'll I'll figure it out mm-hmm. and uh but I made the decision I'm leaving and uh the day I, w- I was literally just about to unplug the phone from the wall because that's when we still had you had to have a wall phone I was just unplugging it when the phone rang and it was a prior school teacher from Ballard High School that still was teaching there. And she asked if I was willing to come to the school and meet her in the in the parking lot during her break. And she shared with me that she wanted to open a tanning studio in Alexandria and wondered how I would manage it. And I looked at her and I said, Jan, I've never been in a tanning bed. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm 20. Then I was 24, I think, at that point. And uh at 25 something because I think I was in the restaurant for three years two three years and uh tanning beds were pretty popular at that time they were just starting out yep okay. they were just a, they were starting to be hit, hit a, a trend and she said well if uh kind of same thing if uh, if I'm okay with that are you interested and I said well let me think about it and put together some numbers and kind of so we talked it through and I told her we had to do at least 30 people a day at full price at like $8.99 a tan, which is more expensive than the competition. Uh, and, but why would they come? You know, why would they come here instead of, and so we just, we mapped it all out. And by the time um, we were open, that was in April, we opened, it was a dirt floor in this new strip mall. We were open in two months. And having- Sounds glamorous. June, tanning bed, dirt floor. <laughs> Oh, there was no, the, the dirt was covered. We had, okay, we good, had good. concrete. Oh, good. <laughs> but yeah, it ended up being super successful. The most hmm. uh, people I we tanned in a day with four beds was like 110. Wow. In a day. Yeah. So I would work from 7 a.m. till, you know, 10 p.m. if I needed to, to get people moving through there. So it was profitable in the first year. And after one year, then I went to the bank and uh, I was offered a position in sales in, the, in our local uh, bank. So huh. I moved on. Okay. And I, and I also didn't never, I didn't even balance my checkbook. How, why would I be working in a bank? But that was another story. <laughs> 
So all of these experiences, you're you're learning that that you obviously are very skilled at sales. You have a way with people. You seem to connect what people want and and giving them the product. Are you thinking at, at this point? I mean, you're still in your twenties, right? Uh, are you thinking I want something of my own? I want to start something new, or did you just enjoy each business challenge as it came? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would, I would get, um, I would start to lose my energy, and uh, you know, for me, uh, what creates positive energy and gets me excited is uh, the a challenge and learning something new and uh, building and creating. I get excited to build and create, and mm-hmm. so. After three years at the bank, I ended up um, deciding when I could hardly put one foot in front of the other to walk to the bank because we lived just a block away and and, uh, my new husband and I. And so I'd walk to the bank to work and uh, I just didn't have any physical energy Hmm. and I I knew I needed to move on. And then Steve ended up getting an opportunity to move to Sweden uh, and we didn't make any money. We had a halfway house in our home. That was our income for recovered Hmm. alcoholics. And uh, I was making $14,000 a year at the bank. Uh, and he said, I have an opportunity. He said to go, he had an opportunity to go and train people on the Minnesota model of alcohol treatment. And so he said, do you want to go? Mm-hmm. And I remember right where I was standing in the bathroom, curling my hair and looked at myself in the mirror. And I had lost my brother in a fire two mm-hmm. years earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he was 28 years old and I was 26 when he died. And and that's a big, huge part of why I started Taste with Simple is because I really started to live with more intent. Yeah. And um, I remember thinking, because my, my mantra, I, I often, in business and personal life, I think, what is the worst thing? I use the deathbed, the deathbed test. And the deathbed test is, how will I, what regrets, will I have a regret on my deathbed? When I'm on my deathbed, will I look back and say, why didn't you do that? Or why did you do that? Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And and I remember that going through my head going, you know, if I only had a month left to live, what would I wish I would have said yes to? Or what, what I wish, what would I wish I had done? And I thought, I, I remember standing there for a couple seconds and cause I'd never, I, my, my travels were to go, I'd never, I'd been to the Apple river. <laughs> That's, that was my, my venture into Wisconsin, into Wisconsin. That was my out of state experience. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just said, I, I said to Steve, um, yeah, let's go. And so within a month, we moved to Sweden. And and when I came back from there, that's when it was a kind of a clean slate to say after a year to say, what now? And that's when I started my gift basket business and had that for about um, three years, three, five, five, four years, something like that. Well, so so back up a second there. What 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 was the gift basket business? What prompted that? Um, Actually, it was a friend of mine who who had the idea. And Wanda said, gosh, Jill, you know, this, these gift baskets are kind of a big thing. When you come back, we should think about doing that. And so we signed up at the tech school to take part in a uh, class called Starting, Starting a Business. And, um, and right before we were going to start the class, Wanda said, yeah, I don't know that I want to. I just kind of want this more as a hobby. You know, I don't really want to do it as a business. And I said, well, if we're going to do it, I want it more as a business. So she ended up starting a different business that was just more on, on the side. And then I went into the gift basket business. Uh, but it was, you know, nobody, nobody really knew what gift baskets were. They knew what flowers were, and uh, but not things that would be filled with um, gifts or candies or foods or any of that kind of thing. But it, again, an entryway into um, 
the fact that people were wanting easy to prepare food. So had I not taken that uh, move, not made that move, I would never have gotten into the food space because that's just not my gig other than owning a restaurant and sure. not knowing what I was doing there. Yeah. Oh, that little thing. Um, so so who was the audience for your gift baskets? Uh that was probably uh, it would any maybe anybody who was if you would have been giving flowers to someone, yep, you would do a gift basket instead. Mm-hmm. But it was getting people trained in what it was. So the so my market was really pretty broad, um, but it was primarily women, of mm-hmm. course, uh, in the gift shop. And I would just custom make baskets based on what they were wanting, and I have some prototypes around and. Uh, the biggest, the best selling product was uh, one that I called Tummy Tickler, which was just had either op- mostly open and enjoy products, food products. So it depended if somebody was sick or if they had a baby or if it was a birthday or anniversary. I had, I think, about 50 different themes. Um, but it was, it was very fun because it was creative and, but didn't make any money again. <laughs> sure, sure. But, but you're, but you're getting, you're Why using you creativity and, and starting yeah. to think about what you can sell. Now, just because people are probably going to be wondering, and I want to take them with us along on this journey. While you were in Sweden, were you working there? And, and did mm. that time influence what you came back mm. and did with the gift baskets and the gift store and all that? Hmm. Um, it was uh, no, it didn't. <laughs> okay, I did something. It was just about an it, aside, yeah. but I, I was hoping to work, but with the language barrier, sure. you know, I, I, uh, it was difficult, and so I, I ended up though thinking I was going to be able to work. And the best thing about the stay in Sweden was, um, I said it was the first time in my life that I remember the moment I felt a sense of serenity. Hmm. And it was after we'd been there for almost, it was like for seven months, but I went through the first time in my life I had, maybe the only time I had depression. And I was like, oh my God, I feel like the lifeblood was running out of me with no sunshine, you know, land of the midnight sun and uh, no job and no no one to call. I mean, you you pray for some life balance, right? And, yeah. and, and I want to, can I just play the piano or go out for coffee or do read a book? And all of a sudden that's all you have time for and nobody's there to go to coffee with. And uh, so it's really lonely, and uh, my husband was a, a, a introvert, and so at, he'd want to read and just you know cut sit back at night and not have to think or do anything. And I'm like, please talk to me. Right. So, I, I, but I said, but that moment I found serenity uh, when we were driving into Stockholm one evening. I remember the sun was setting, and and I thought, wow, I, I feel at peace. And I said it was the first time in my life that I I had be- I felt like I was a human being instead of a human doing, because hmm. I'd always been doing and doing. Of course, I was not even, I was 28, 29. Yeah. So, you know, but it was a, it was a, a huge pivotal de- development opportunity for me that I never would have guessed was going to happen. It takes mm-hmm. a lot of people a lot longer to figure that out. Do you feel like that feeling, once you knew what that was and were able to identify it, was that helpful to you as things got busier once again? Um, yeah, it was helpful, but <laughs> I haven't felt it since. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like Sweden, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I feel it, but you know, it, it is so easy to get addicted on doing and running and, and it, it's, a uh, uh, and yet I thrive on chaos too. So, right. but I think it, it did teach me, uh, the importance, like I'm leaving today on my personal retreat, uh, where I, I just go away now for 
four nights uh, and, and, and just to ask myself the question, what would I wish I had done if I only had a month left to live? I still ask myself that question. And so I didn't start doing that until the year 2000. Um, but uh, where do you go? It, uh, it varies. I, I go up, I'm going up to Niswa, a VRBO, uh-huh. uh, just a house. And, and you go, go by up to the Grandview Lodge. You go by yourself? Yep. Wow. Yep. And it's really, and you do this every year? Yep. And I don't, I bring my food. I bring my, I don't, I don't go out. I don't, I go and make, get a massage maybe, but that's about it. And it's just thinking about where I want to, what, what do I, what will, uh, living a life of no regrets and what do I would need to be ch- adjusting and changing? And, and there's years I've been up there and I sit there and just kind of look out. I was up in Duluth and, and uh, at Beacon Point and looking out at the water and went, hmm. Can't just don't can't even I can't even dream. It was just a rough time and taste was simple in my life. And I picked up I had brought a book called uh, Today We Are Rich by Tim Sanders, and mm-hmm. it was like just it helped my world just kind of open up. It just started to get you know just to reflect and think yeah. what's most important here. Yeah, that's so important to take that time. That's that's really mm-hmm. great that you do that. So let's let's get to tastefully simple. What? How did it start? And was it the gift baskets that then led into starting tastefully simple? What was the original vision? Uh, yeah, it was. They're they're, they're separate businesses. Uh, you know, I closed my gift shop, and uh, after I had my son, and uh, I was still, you know, working a ton of hours. You know, four sixty-hour week, work weeks and holidays, and uh, and it was um, just time to say, is this really worth it? Is the juice worth the squeeze? <laughs> so I ended up um, being asked after I closed my retail store to be part of the holiday crafters tour because I was still selling direct to, I would do a newsletter to my client base and I would have an open house uh, in a more public area than my, my own home mm-hmm. uh, and still stay in contact with my clients. Um, and so they asked me through the holiday crafters tour, if I would be willing to come in the first week in November and, and sell my baskets. Uh, it's kind of like the parade of homes in Alexandria, except it's artisans in maybe five different homes. Sure. And, um, they asked me to be a part of that, even though, and then, uh, maybe a month ahead of time, I said, you know, there's great food in these baskets. Um, in one of them, I said, what if I bring the products open stock and sell them and let people taste them and, uh, not, and, and sell them not just in the basket, even though I don't make the products myself. And they said, yeah, that'd be cool. Nobody's ever done that before. Hmm. So that was what happened two years in a row. Uh, I had a different product the second year I won't get into, but um, it was two years in a row that um, that happened. And I sold those products and took a couple hundred dollars in, in basket orders for the holidays and sold like $1,800 or $2,000 in uh, was seven, six or seven products. Hmm. And uh, and these I, weren't your products. I mean, these were just no. products you liked. What what were they like? Crackers um, and what what kind no, of stuff? No, uh, uh, there was a beer bread in the line then, ah. and a creamy wild rice soup, uh, and a honey mustard, a raspberry salsa, a champagne jelly that was just this tiny little jar. I was mm-hmm. putting it out on this cute little display with the Christmas lights and little greens around it, and. I was using my display days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's being, it all comes together. Class. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, and and this and, was and, the. And I thought I'm not going to sell these things. These things are going. I'm going to be packing all this stuff up, and I sold out of almost everything. But it was 
and I had a uh, uh, cake uh, available. So it was like, but it was literally, um, yeah, I, it was my most profitable endeavor I'd ever had. Interesting. And this is the early 90s. So it's kind of pre-internet. People aren't going, there aren't mm-hmm. pop-ups and, and farmer's markets mm-hmm. on every corner. So this obviously gets the adrenaline flowing for you. What do you do next? Uh, the second year it happened, uh, it was two weeks after the crafters tour, and I call it my ding ding moment at three o'clock in the morning. And I was reading an entrepreneur magazine, and they were featuring people who had become millionaires before the age of forty. Uh, and I read about one company at that time that was called Country Peddlers, which became At Home America and has since uh, become defunct. But uh, this this couple, this these two sisters had. Uh, a retail store and then switched into a direct sales channel with their home decor items. Mm -hmm. And I read that article and all of a sudden I thought, you know, I did a little experimentation with gift baskets through home parties. Mm -hmm. And I had like an $800 party uh, in just one night, you know, uh, but I, afterwards when I tried to figure out how I could scale it and, and how would I be able to do that? It's there, there's just a lot of labor in them and, how do you ship them? It just seemed logistically difficult, but I had done some research on it sure. and had made a few calls. And I thought, you know, people aren't looking for the baskets. They're looking for easy to prepare food. Hmm. They're just looking for even in outstate Minnesota. And my joke is that was beginning and end of my market research. I thought if this <laughs> stuff sells in Alexandria, Minnesota, this easy to prepare food, if this stuff sold like this here, it's going to sell anywhere in the nation. You were that confident. Yeah. Okay, that was not, the that not, was the ding ding moment. The, yeah, but I just thought uh, not at that very moment. But I, uh, what I first started thinking was, wow, why wouldn't I sell? I could sell the food through the through a home party. The next thought was, well, you know, how's that all going to work? There's a lot of logistical things. So until I had a vision of how it was going to work, then I became more confident as I ran ran out the business plan and and uh, showed that after after running the business plan for three three months and running just to say, oh, what could this look like? And, and, and talking to other companies, uh, I came up with the number um, that l- led me down the hallway to eat a lot of graham crackers with butter. But um, <laughs> no kidding. And, but I hit the number and I just thought, remember eating these graham crackers one after the other and thoughts control emotions mm-hmm. and emotions control actions. So I think back, what was I thinking about that was creating this this fear where I was eating because <laughs> that was my action I was taking? And it was because I hit the numbers that in five years, the company could be $11 million. Hmm. So, and I could still feel that feeling of, I can't run an $11 million company. Ah. You know? So so you're before you've even done this, you're already r- realizing how big it can be and you're scared of the size, not whether or not it's mm-hmm. going to work. Right. In my gut, I just thought it was doable because I'd worked on it for so long. And I thought I just needed to have five people by the end of the first year. And I thought, I don't even know what I'm doing, but I think I could get five people to do this. And when and, you say five and, people, you mean five people selling. to sell. So so the yep. original, sum up the original vision, you know, business plan for Tastefully Simple. What was it you say? Yeah. Uh, so my, my business plan was, I thought, uh, what would an average sale be at a party? How many people could I get to come uh, to a party? Because I didn't even, I didn't, had, I didn't even like home parties. <laughs> so I didn't really know anything about, I knew nothing about that either. But You weren't thought, much for you, Tupperware parties. This wasn't, that no, wasn't the inspiration. No, I would go, I didn't hate them, but I just, I wasn't, I'd never hosted one. And so, uh, but I thought, you know, this would be a party I'd go to because it's sitting around, it's eating, it's socializing. Uh, you know, and 
it's social. Yeah. <laughs> so I so, so majored in that. The I mean, idea, right. So the idea was you're, you're selling food products that, that you're going to manufacture yourself? And, no. And pa- uh, nope. I was others. have other people manufacture them. Okay. And, I, and we were, we're really a distribution and a training and marketing and distribution company. That's what we do. And just figure out what people like and uh, want to buy. That's easy to prepare. Okay. And so I figured if I had you know, at least 10 people coming to a party and they spent maybe $25. I was really felt I was being conservative. And, uh, you know, I rolled out the numbers and what would the commission be and how many people could they bring in? Anyway, it, it was, it was that snowball effect of once you start to grow and those core people bring on more people and it just snowballs. I thought we, I think we can get to 11 million. And, uh, so I started out in a shed, uh, packing orders on a pool table. I was the only salesperson, only employee. Uh, yeah, no running water. And, uh, and, and people loved it. They were excited. My first party, I only had five people there and it was like a $200 party. I thought, crap, this isn't going to work. But four of the five people booked a party. Ah. Well, that's the magic bullet. I mean, if they, if it's fun and they want to come back for more and, and ultimately Ellie, you know, this, if you have a a crappy product, it's all mox nicks. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it just won't matter. They're not coming back. And it was so the core of the business and the success was about the product. Mm-hmm. And people loved it. And they loved the experience of coming together and learning and getting ideas for what, you know, how we were solving an issue of what am I going to eat? Sure. I'll hate to make that decision. So I can see how it starts to spread across your small town. But how do you make the leap to being mm-hmm. national, especially in the 90s when it's not like you just Google it and, and click order? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, I was, didn't, I didn't know either. My, my original vision was that we just start in Minnesota, maybe stay in a, uh, start in Minnesota, then go to maybe a, a tri-state area. And then, well, that doesn't work. So in a good way, that didn't work. So um, I, it's, it's all about concentric circles. And so I had my first few parties. They, they know, you know, people are there that they're in another social circle and you sell there. And then I went to Little Falls uh, on the Friday of the 4th of July and the gal who called to book this party for me, I was sitting in the shed. I was unable to get any bookings. I was really frustrated. And I get the phone, the phone rings and she says, Hey, this is Kelly from Spectrum Printing in Little Falls. And she said, we're printing your catalog. I said, Oh, Kelly. And my heart stops. I think, are we going to have a delay on getting the catalog? Mm-hmm. Um, I, from March, uh, when I came up with the business plan, it was in March and I had my first party in June. I mean, it was that fast. Hmm. And she said, well, no, I'm just wondering, what is this? Is this like a home party, like a tasting company or something? I thought to myself, <laughs> well, good job on your marketing, Jill. <laughs> they just her, what the heck this is? And so she booked a party on the Friday of the 4th of July. Someone was at that party that told her, she, the host told her sister, said, hey, this would be something really cool in Chicagoland. You should do this. Her sister sent me in her agreement and signed on. You know, it, and, and you're like, that's I, how it began to I, spread. I like, and she didn't even call me. She yeah. sent in the application. So it's just that's it's just one spark. So know, how fire. how long did it take until you were truly national? Uh, within the first five years, I think we we're in all 50 states, five to seven, somewhere in there. Amazing. And and all this time, are you are you still thinking to yourself, I don't know how to run a multimillion dollar company. I, I don't know what to do. Or did I, were you I, doing it? You, you know, it's it was uh, once I came to the mentality of, uh, you know, if if you can grow an 11 million dollar company, you can run it. 
and and I decided that even if I couldn't do that after when we hit $11 million, I could by that point afford to hire someone. The concept would have been proven mm-hmm. and I could afford to ha- hire somebody to run it. But at that point, the snowball was going and th- and to mix metaphors, the, the rocket ship was just going and I, you just hang on because it was and it was all learning together. Because what I would say to people at my first parties is I would say, as you can clearly see, I have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, I, I was <laughs> I was not that great at it, I but I would I have a sincere desire. I don't think selling is selling in what most people consider um, a salesperson. I believe great salespeople are about caring about what's best for the other person, and and people trust and know that be, that being genuine is is what you're about. And so they trusted that, and they trusted me, and 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 that was a blessing. And so I would say to them, though, you know, my goal and my intention is to be the size of of Longerberger Basket or Discovery Toys or Pampered Chef. And uh, and and I believe this concept is going to work. People are are looking for easy to prepare food. People are busy. That mm-hmm. was 25 years ago. Right. <laughs> you know, and I said, if you're interested in coming along with me, come along with me and we'll figure it out together. It was and we truly would just figure out every little thing along the way. It was it was uh, a total evolution, a lot of work. And someone once said to me, would you do it again? If you know, knew, knowing what you know today, would you do it? And I would have been so intimidated if I had thought I had to know all of that. There's mm-hmm. no flipping way. But it was truly just, and people would sign up and, and we figured it out together. Well, you went well beyond 11 million. You actually grew to 143 million in sales by by 2008. What was it like at that time? What were were you still hosting parties? At what point did you start putting together an executive team? When did you become more of a CEO than a than a salesperson founder? Hmm. Hmm. Uh so I'll I'll start with the like how long did I do parties? And I did parties for three years, and then I was reading one of John Maxwell's books, and he's yeah, this is a paraphrase, but it was uh, basically, you can't chase two rabbits and catch them both. Hmm. And it was in April of 1998. I can still remember it distinctly. And I thought, gosh, it's just, you know, I call those spiritual awakenings or that those ding-ding moments where they're just freeze-framed in your mind, that those are times that we shift. Mm-hmm. You know, You know something shifts, and I can just, my mind just shifted. And I thought, Jill, you got to stop working your own business here and 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 get focused on on growing the business itself because it just was so hard to do both. Mm-hmm. I do, you know, run the business during the day and run up and do parties at night. I would, I I did uh, like eighteen parties in the month of November. I mean, I was just it was crazy. Right. And so, uh, but and then by the grace of God, I I decided in April to no longer do parties and and draw a salary of thirty thousand dollars. I would pay myself a salary because the only way I made money was doing parties and building a team. And then it was um, um, like four months later that um, I came, my son and I came home and found my husband dead Mm. at home. Uh, I was uh, 39 and Steve was 49 um, and uh, he had died from an overdose of prescription medication. And Zach was five years old. So that was the impetus as well. It, it just the way things happened because mm-hmm. it is also the same year my my one brother died in a fire and then my other brother died at the age of 20 in a fall for that just nine months earlier before Steve died. Oh my gosh. And so that's a I whole was, lot of tragedy. Yeah, a lot of lessons, a lot of lessons. But um, the uh, I ended up then 
really diving in because I had to. Right. I, I mean, mean, but I meanwhile, you're to. also a single mom. That's what I mean. I had to. I yeah. mean, it was like, I, I was, I, that was my income. Yeah. And I had $30,000 a year, which you can make it, but it's tight. I rented out the lower level of our house that we were, had a halfway house in. And I couldn't have that anymore because my husband was gone and he was the counselor. And uh, but I converted it to uh, housing for four tech students and and made my house payment at least so I could cash flow. But hmm. so, you know, that I look back at even that happening and thinking it was definitely a pivot point in the business because I was ready to give up. I, I not ready. Um, it was a it was a flash of thought thinking again controls emotion that controls action and. I remember the night the after the night after the funeral, I was staying at Rose's house with Zach, a friend of mine, and I turned out the light, and all of a sudden you're just in survival mode and just numb because you're thinking, oh my lord, I, I I'd lost all of my my whole family at that yeah. point really, and um, uh, and I, I all of a sudden I thought that the thought came to me, I thought, Jill, what are you gonna do? You can't raise. Zach and be a mom and have this company. We were just hit, hitting a million dollars in sales, and uh, we had just moved out of the shed. and And the team moved me out while I was out with Steve's death. And I, I thought, you can't do this. And and the and the thought that came to mind was the AA slogan of, um, you know, it's just one day at a time. Hmm. And the emotion that hit me after that was just my gut just went into knots because when you're in crisis and tragedy a day is too long mm -hmm. and and so by the grace of god the next thought that hit my head was then jill just just do it a minute at a time hmm. you don't have to decide today just see if you can make this one minute at a time and even today when i say it i can just feel the emotion release and so thoughts control emotions and emotions control actions and i i stayed with it because i thought i'll decide you know tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and decide every day if I can do this or not. And um, it, 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 it continued to just skyrocket. And so, yeah, within the first eight years, um, well, by 2008, we started in 1995. So 13 years, we were at 143 million. Uh, and we did hit that $11 million goal, by the way, we exceeded it in the fifth year and hit 11.8. That's amazing. So what did $143 million in sales feel like? for you what what was that accomplishment like i it, it's like i have a total blackout i can't it was just it was so much intensity and craziness i can't can't even it was it was 80 to 100 hour work hour, uh, work hours a week it was just insane and so it was exciting i mean the most exciting thing about it was we started giving a discretionary it wasn't a full uh you know uh uh profit sharing but we would tell the team what our target was, and then uh, we'd be sharing checks with them. And, you know, we gave checks as high as $20,000 to people, just totally discretionary at the end of the year. And, uh, you know, we were in the uh, Hall of Fame for the Inc. 500 for a growth five years running. It was just there was a lot of uh, it was intensely exciting, but you just didn't have time to internalize it. How, how yeah. big was the team? How many salespeople and how many people at corporate headquarters? Our peak of salespeople was t around 28,000, and we had roughly 350 people working as employees in Alexandria. And and what what were you doing day to day at that peak period? I, I was, um, as a CEO, I was really leading the sales, marketing, and training. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and certainly the strategy and those types of things. Um, but that was my that was my fo- primary focus. Okay. So you continued it to, to grow and, and you're doing well. And then fast forward to Blue Apron and some of these boxes and and new ways of getting, you know, food delivered and, and sent through the internet. What started to happen to Tastefully Simple? Well, and I would say it was, it was even well before that, uh, because what when we we had our our sales decline uh began in 2009 so 143 million 2008 for 11 years right up through last year Allie, 11 years in a row sales have been down on down on down on down so oh. it started well before the years of um you know blue apron hello fresh any of those types of things mm-hmm. uh but you know meteoric uh, just meteoric growth for 13 years and then the sales decline uh, you know i we had uh, we had had over 30 million dollars i'm being really candid here because the, the reason i'm going to share the story is because you know it's not all rainbows and unicorns you know it's uh, it's, it's, and, 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 you know, I, I didn't have any experience in, in running a bit. I mean, I had my little experiences of managing the the tanning studio and the, and the restaurant and all those things, but as a gift basket business, but nothing ever like this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to, to go through that and, and I want people to understand that, yeah, uh, you know, you don't have to be born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Cause when I started taste with simple, uh, my husband and I had a twenty-four thousand dollars household income, so we had twenty-five thousand. We had rounding up, <laughs> uh, no money, and so you know during this time when you start to go down, you're like, uh, "How do I? How do I handle this? What do I do?" And well, it, did, what, was the what, fall what's creating it? Did, right? Did the fall come fast? I mean, was it you have that no. peak year in two thousand eight, and then is it just sort of slowly every things... year? Okay. Well, every year down, you know, uh, and then and then pretty soon it started taking. Like after in the last five years, we went through again all thirty million dollars in cash reserves. We had seven years in a row from two thousand thirteen even through last year with no profit. Uh, in two thousand sixteen, we lost nearly twelve million dollars. And then this this would I'm sure you can understand why I would do this. Is then I made the decision to put in five million dollars uh, of a, li- a line of credit uh, to keep the company open and keep us going, and it was like it was insane. So, well, and, well, and a lot of people say, "Why would I? Why would I?" Yeah, that? exactly. Well, wait before you say why. What What were you think? Did you have any theories on why, after so much success, things started mm-hmm. to to go down? And did you ever just think about closing up? That maybe you oh, had yeah. a good run and, and it was time to bow out. Totally. Uh, and any turnaround advisors, you know, they they would never come right out and say, just Jill, close the door. Well, some were probably that bold, but I, I would I think it's a pretty safe bet to say ninety eight percent of people thought I was crazy to stay in it if they knew all the when they knew all the financials around it. But you know, I here's what uh, I, uh, I'm interviewing for a vice president of sales right now. And someone asked me a great question yesterday. She said, so what was it that made you believe? You know, what made you believe? And I said, well, first off, I have a lot of faith. And I, I believe when I listen, you do have to kind of just listen to all the uh, 
one of the tips is you know you can t- get find smart people and absolutely get input and 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 find people better than you and then in the end you have to listen to your own whisper hmm. and uh, I I just believed in my heart it was it was not time to give up on this and it's because I believe the products you know like so many companies become irrelevant mm-hmm. their products become irrelevant the way that they're selling becomes irrelevant now home parties were suffering in in the just the the stigma of a home party mm-hmm. and yet I still believe that we of anybody had the social aspect of this that people would st- would still crave along with products that are easy to prepare and we'd also converted our line in 2017 to being 85% TS eat well meaning there was nothing artificial in our in our uh, ingredient decks so we were becoming much more relevant from a, from that perspective but uh, the food was still so relevant and our brand was still and still is so respected it wasn't like it was getting tarnished so I, I just thought there's so much runway here. It was killing me. But when you're when you start to slide and you have a sales force that is uh, seeing their sales decline as well, it creates so much. Um, uh, it, it, the rumors were flying and poaching was going. You know, like we were closing our doors and you know people were poaching our team because they knew our sales were down. So they'd come in and, and you know swoop up our sales force. It was just it, it just went from bad to worse. So, uh, but I knew if we could, if we could get other, put our holes in the, in the finger, put our fingers in the hole of the hull of the boat and keep it afloat and fix it financially first, because we'd gotten fat. We had too many people in the company. Uh, we had 50 leaders at one point out of 200, 350. It, we were overspending, you know, when you have the money and you're just running fast, mm-hmm. you spend it. And so we had, uh, it, it was um, symptomatic of, uh, running hard and fast and not making uh, some of these choices that we should have made sooner, frankly, like hmm. really a lot earlier. And uh, so, but I believed in the brand and I believed in the relevance of our product and I believed in our people. The people that we have with us now, we're down to 70 to 75 people uh, in Alexandria. And um, how many salespeople? Incredibly dedicated and loyal. Uh, we're at around 10,000. So, 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 we, so home parties are still a thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they've switched over to online now. Right. And I mean, that's the beautiful thing. And thank you, Jesus, for COVID, because <laughs> we would never have been forced, you know, forced into uh, have, changing our, our behaviors. And, and fear is a great motivator. Right. And so people, our consultants were like, crap, what are we going to do? And we moved really fast to get, within one week, we had training out there for how to do online parties. We put together uh, incentive that helped bring people in. We brought in 3,900 people in in uh, uh, April, and we are up so far this year. We're up 62% over last year. So it's just been um, it's been amazing. And we were at the point where we had had right we had created a financial and taking care of the financial issues, and so then we were able to uh, able to get back in and focus in on the core of the business and and become tastefully simple again instead of tastefully complicated because we had also complicated our program so much. Yeah. So um, maybe, you know, while we obviously would wish that we weren't in a global pandemic right now, there are certainly many examples of, you know, innovation and inspiration that comes out of difficult times. and, And you've just hit the nail on the head. So you are now profitable again, just from this year. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. It's, and, uh, mm-hmm. and, we, and well, well, the year isn't over, but right. at this point, we're feeling pretty confident that we'll be have profit for the first time in is that our, after a seven year drought. Is that also just about the fact that people are eating at home more, that they're cooking more? Mm-hmm. Do you have any concern, though, that this is a blip, that this is while people are stuck at home, but once they get back out, they, they go back to their regularly scheduled shopping? Yeah, it's a really, really great, great question. And my um, belief is, and and it would be, uh, I've just done, it's kind of spotty, kind of like my research you know, 25 years ago. I, I just, if this works in Alexander, it's going to work anywhere. You know, just talking to people, uh, so many people have said, you know, that they haven't, yeah, they haven't been eating out. So our success has been the demise of restaurants. And that makes me sick. I mean, it really does. Uh, I'm so sad for that industry. Um, and people, I think, are now seeing the value, too, of being at home, and they see the solution that we are in helping give them ideas. And it might be the meal kits that you're referring to, uh, and they buy a lot of uh, open stock products and spices and sauces and seasonings. Um, and so I think that they're going to see the value of that and the cost savings mm-hmm. you know, of eating at home. So along with the fact that the online parties have been awesome because they can get free products, they can get to get all these uh, recipe ideas of what they can be making for dinner tonight or uh, for their party next weekend. Uh, And they don't have to clean their flipping house to have a party. (laughs) (laughs) The benefits of a virtual party. And and maybe all of the things that made home parties stop seeming cool and fun, suddenly we're all craving ways to connect and and get together online. Interesting. Zoom, Zoom parties? Zoom parties? I mean, how many of us have done Zoom happy hours? Right. Well, you know, you can and and have a margarita, a watermelon margarita. But, uh, you know, and, and, and yet you can still be, you know, making a, making something together or talking about, you know, how they can uh, what they can do and giving them ideas. Uh, there's just so it just opens up so many opportunities. Sure. Just so many opportunities. Jill, I have to ask if we can go back when when things were really bad and the company was really struggling. Was there any point at which you s- turned, looked in the mirror or went on one of your getaways and said, maybe I'm the problem? Maybe I oh, should get yeah. out of the way? I thought, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I question myself all the time, all the time. Um, and, you know, one of the things, it's finding that sweet spot between, um, you know, being really hands-on as an entrepreneur and building and creating, which is what I love to do. And I'm a great, I'm an ideator and I can see things that sometimes I can see around a corner, other people maybe can't. I had stepped away and it's finding that balance between being involved enough to help, but not hinder. And, uh, but I can say that I, I do, and the team I, today, I know would agree that uh, being back in the business again and leading the team directly for the last couple of years has been a huge blessing. Um, so we can get back to the core of what, and the philosophies of the company that are what built us and, and being true to that. So now somebody just asked me on another uh, event I was speaking at um, through the Prouty Project. And one of the questions afterwards was she said, you know, Jill, you said that one of the things that you just didn't know how to do is how to lead through executives. She said, is that what you want to do? Do you want to? Is that what you like doing? And I said, hell no. (laughs) 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 It's not my strength. It's not. But, you know, when you can get with people who see the value that I bring to the table and I and I respect what they're bringing to the table and you have a partnership and you're unified in that. God, you can just kick butt. And, (laughs) And that's that's my goal is to, you know, I do, I, my goal would be 
but I'm I'm still planning to lead the executives. But I uh, but it's not my my biggest passion is not that it's getting in and working with the team side by side to create great results. And we've been we just had beautiful. There's no silos anymore, and we're all working so hard together. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. So I I got in the way in different different ways. Absolutely, I've learned a ton. Um, what would you say and, is and your... I think and I would say today uh, my, I, I can say I doubted my what I brought to the table not in the early years but for maybe 15 years in there mm-hmm. uh, I'm not even kidding and today I can say no nope, uh, the value that I can bring to the table is significant um, and it's how do I bring in have other powerhouses along with me so that's how we will ratchet up and we're getting there we're building that team now because for years I wasn't going to invest in people because not even invest, I wouldn't want somebody to come into the company when I didn't know if we could even survive. Sure. You know, we didn't know if we'd still be here. Sure. So you're working really hard on the ground these days. I know you for a while you were running the sales team, you were doing the marketing, you really got back in and started doing everything. And and COVID obviously hit us all by surprise and demanded more of your time. Are you enjoying that level of hard work at this stage in your career? Those are two different questions. Am I enjoying it? <laughs> yes. Am I enjoying the hard work? No, not so much. You know, I uh, I, I don't have a training director, so I'm, I'm doing the training side of it, all of it, and then no salesperson. And now I do have a marketing, a strong uh, marketing person, so that's beautiful. And so we're filling those positions. So uh, I really do enjoy it. It's just how do I work with someone who can help execute that and we can work together, create a vision and somebody else can execute it all. That'd be a beautiful thing because it's a lot. It's a lot of hours and uh, and the team has done a fabulous job stepping up into it. Uh, But none of us can do it forever. Sure. What what do you think the future of, of Tastefully Simple and of this type of retail of home party and kind of this direct to consumer type business is? I think it is it is absolutely coming coming full circle in a way that is uh, very compelling because before it was in the home and I believe we'll still have people who want to have an in the home and drink a drink a margarita together in mm-hmm. your living room or in on your deck. That sounds good uh, to me. And I know <laughs> so we're still going to have that and then be able to taste the products and so there's still going to be that but to be able to lay on top of that the technology side of this. I mean, it's just, and and then there's a, there's a lot of other things we have on the uh, on the horizon too that we want to get into, and I'm I'm getting the right people on board to make those things happen, because it's food. You know, it we only sell to people who eat. <laughs> I think we're covered. That's a good market. That's a good demo it, to be it, in. It's a good it's a good demo, and 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 it's the experience too. That's a, that's what's important because you know you could sell a product off a a, a grocery shelf. You mm-hmm. can sell it online. It's the experience behind it. That is what's compelling. Right, right. And so interesting to think about how that's evolving right now. Jill, will you ever retire? Will oh, there ever no. no. <laughs> will, will there ever be a time when you say, okay, it's time for me to step back from the day-to-day at Tastefully Simple? Oh, I, it would be good to step away from the day-to-day and, mm-hmm. and make sure that, you know, I, I, I say, uh, my, uh, you know, like any parent, you know, your, your kids are going to grow up and you're going to have grandbabies and, you, you know, you got to make sure that everybody's well cared for and, uh, and my goal, though, would be to always be involved in the business somehow, because uh, and uh, because I think it's um, the the it's it's a little bit like Mary Kay, mm-hmm. uh, and we used to joke I was kind of the Mary Kay of gourmet, mm-hmm. <laughs> and now we we don't use the word gourmet anymore. But 
you know, it's like she could still be very involved, but have other people who are smarter and better than her that can take take the company to the next level. And uh, so I would my my grandfather, when people would I would well, someone once asked me about my exit strategy many years ago in Vistage, and uh, they said, "What is your exit strategy?" I said, "Well, my grandfather, as a, a, a he was also a, a, a farmer." Uh, and his his uh, exit strategy was death. <laughs> I'm going to perhaps be a bit more proactive than that. But yeah, I hope you get a couple of vacations in there or something. <laughs> oh yeah, first, yeah, no, too. I get that. I, yeah. Jill, if 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 we had told this story to the young girl on the farm back in the day, what would what would you have thought if if you had had a little vision of what was going to become and the company you would run and all of your leadership exploits? I would have said, I don't know. I would have asked what you were smoking. I just can't even, I know uh, it is, it is mind boggling. I still don't, I still don't really internalize it. it. That sounds really, I don't mean that in an ungrateful way. I I thank God every single morning I wake up and look out at this lake and, um, and drive up to tastefully simple, not anymore. But when I did, when we weren't working from home and I just have a life that is, I'm so incredibly blessed. I, I, I can't even get my head around it, but um, it, it is, it is uh, when, whenever I in the past have asked the marketing team and, and, and I hated to push on it too much because I felt like I was saying that I wanted it to be about me, but I said, I always want that shed in our marketing pieces, always. And after I really crystallized on that, because I kind of got the vibe that it was, well, yeah, we're making this story too much about you as the founder. And, and I finally, I thought I, I had probably on a personal retreat once I had this great clarity that I said, it's not about the shed. It's, it, it, it's what the shed, rep- it's, and it's not about me at all. It's what that shed represents. Hmm. And that shed represents that you can do it too. And, and it, but it, you know, entrepreneurs, it's not about uh, get rich quick. It takes time and energy and blood and sweat and fear and doubts and tears and all of it. But that shed to me represents the American dream. And uh, we forget how blessed we are to be in this country yeah. and to be able to start a business. And, uh, you know, like like Twin Cities, you know, business, uh, you guys, you you get it. And you're featuring these people all the time. Do, you, do people really realize how what a, a gift it is? Right. And so I'm I'm I, I keep that shed in my mind all the time because that's where I, where I come from. And I, I never want to forget that either. Yeah, that's really important. There's a garage or a shed in the history of many an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So you uh, you take your place among some of the greats. Jill Blaschek Strahan, thank you so, so very much for talking to us and telling your story. It is truly one of the most inspirational. Allie, thank you. I'm honored. And it's, you're just a joy to, to talk with. It's a, you're, you're, you're a spitfire. I love it. <laughs> well, we might have to do a part two someday when we see what the next chapter is. But, but thank you. Thank you for taking us this far in the journey. And you enjoy your, your little escape and get away. I hope I it's clarifying and relaxing. I will, Allie. Okay. Yes, thank Take you. care. Jill is so much fun to to talk to and her energy is so infectious. But I have to wonder if she had gone to see Professor David Deeds at the University of St. Thomas in the midst of the declining sales, what might he have told her about Tastefully Simple? 
To find out, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. David Deeds is the Schultz Professor of Entrepreneurship. Professor Deeds, gonna put you on the spot. What might you have told Jill after year five, six, seven, eight, nine of declining sales? I'd have told her to work as hard as possible to get a cash flow in order and find a buyer, to be completely honest. If I'm coming in as a consultant, I gotta make a best economic recommendation I can I can make. And that that would probably be it. But the the question is what makes sense in terms of economic and rationality and what makes sense for the individual and the founder. It didn't it didn't make a lot of sense to keep pursuing a company that was declining and losing money and it chewed through that much cash from an economic standpoint. But from a founder standpoint and from Jill's standpoint, from a personal standpoint, I think it did. You can hear it in her voice. And there is there is a commitment and a passion and an ownership in, in a, an entrepreneur that is different from a CEO. And so you can look at this and say, this is crazy, over-optimistic behavior by an entrepreneur, and that a rational CEO would have cut losses and had this thing on the market, you know, three years into these losses. Um, but in the end, she owns this company, and it's hers in order to do and maximize and get the returns that she's looking for. And if that came from her sticking with it and turning it around and continuing to, to run it, well, power to her. And she's making money today. And so um, I think that's a, I think it's a good outcome, um, but I would not have recommended right, it. Right. Well, I, I think you, you've said it to us before. There is a profound difference between being a founder and being a CEO. And it's why so many founders step out of the way at a certain point to, to let a CEO run the day to day. Absolutely. It's, you know, the, the entrepreneur is the motivator, is generally more visionary. They're frequently not trained in depth as managers. Um, and it's not that being an entrepreneur and being a CEO are, you know, polar opposites, but they're not the same job. Right. And they don't take the same skill sets. And so if you're going to be an entrepreneur and become the CEO of a larger growing company, you're going to have to learn and change and behaviors a lot, um, which is why, and frequently for entrepreneurs, it's not fun. So, you know, you have to, as an entrepreneur, you have to think about what you're looking for and think about a potential time where it's, okay, it's time for me to bring somebody in and step back to the board, or maybe it's time to sell it. Um, if you're going to stick with it and you're going to be that frontline CEO, you got a lot of learning to do. <laughs> That's for sure. But then again, nobody is going to have the, the the passion and and the stick with itness of the founder, as is certainly the case for for Jill. Absolutely, nobody will ever have the commitment that the founder does. It will never be anybody else's baby in the way it is that founder's baby. Yeah, and and that can get an organization through a lot. And it can keep it alive through a lot of things. Right. Absolutely. Well, Professor Deeds, thank you for your perspective as always. And thank you to the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you want to know more about our show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. And thank you so much for listening to By All Means. 
to make by all means, and we've got some all-stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed By All Means. Oh,